0: We open the scriptures to the book of Ephesians, we'll read two short passages from two epistles beginning in Ephesians chapter 2 and then turning to read from 1 Timothy chapter 4. Let's read the first ten verses of Ephesians chapter 2. And you hath he quickened, who were dead in trespasses and sins, wherein in time past ye walked, according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation in times past, in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. But God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ, by grace ye are saved, and hath raised us up together and made us sit, together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. Now let's turn to 1 Timothy chapter 4. <clears throat> we'll read verses 1 through 11. Now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, speaking lies in hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron, forbidding to marry and commanding to abstain from meats which God hath created to be received with thanksgiving of them which believe and know the truth. For every creature of God is good, and nothing to be refused, if it be received with thanksgiving, for it is sanctified by the word of God and prayer. If thou put the brethren in remembrance of these things, thou shalt be a good minister of Jesus Christ, nourished up in the words of faith and of good doctrine, whereunto thou hast attained. But refuse profane and old wives' fables, and exercise thyself rather unto godliness. For bodily exercise profiteth little, but godliness is profitable unto all things, having promise of the life that now is, and of that which is to come. This is a faithful saying, and worthy of all acceptation. For therefore we both labor and suffer reproach, because we trust in the living God, who is the Savior of all men, specially of those that believe. These things command. teach. The basis of these two passages and the entirety of the Word of God, we have the Catechism's instruction in Lord's Day 32. We'll read both the questions and answers this morning. Question 86. Since then we are delivered from our misery merely of grace through Christ without any merit of ours. Why must we still do good works? Because Christ, having redeemed and delivered us by his blood, also renews us by his Holy Spirit after his own image. That so we may testify by the whole of our conduct our gratitude to God for his blessings, and that he may be praised by us. Also that everyone may be assured in himself of his faith by the fruits thereof. And that by our godly conversation others may be gained to Christ. Cannot they then be saved who, continuing in their wicked and ungrateful lives, are not converted to God? By no means." For the Holy Scripture declares that no unchaste person, idolater, adulterer, thief, covetous man, drunkard, slanderer, robber, or any such like shall inherit the kingdom of God. Beloved in the Lord, we return to Lord's Day 32 this morning and finish up this Lord's Day's instruction in the Fundamental Truths of the Word of God. Last Sunday we focused on how Lord's Day 32 sets before us a full-orbed view of God's work of salvation. Indeed, the sermon last week focused exclusively upon the opening line of answer 86. And we took note of the fact that the wonderful work of God's salvation has... Two main parts to it. There is redemption by the blood of Christ. And there is renewal by the indwelling spirit of Christ. And we highlighted the vital connection between these two parts of God's saving work. And put them in their proper relationship. The redemptive work of Christ which he accomplished in his state of humiliation. Lays the foundation for all of our salvation. That is the basis. It's Jesus' work in the state of humiliation. His redemptive work that merited and obtained for us all blessings of salvation. But now having redeemed us by his blood, the scriptures teach that Christ doesn't stop working there. But Christ continues to work by his Holy Spirit. That's why after the cross and the empty tomb, there is the ascension and Pentecost. Christ now, the ascended Christ, continues to operate savingly in the hearts and lives of his people. Having obtained all blessings for us, he now ministers to us from heaven, applying and imparting those blessings to us by the operation of his Spirit. And so, those two main parts of God's saving work are like two sides of one coin. You cannot split them, you cannot separate them. And we notice that when we understand the nature of salvation, redemption by the blood, which leads to renewal by the Spirit, the question, why must we do good works, the answer to that question becomes very plain. Good works are the fruit of the saving operation of the Spirit in our hearts. And so, we must. We must because they are the necessary fruits of grace. But there's a bit more to Lord's Day 32. Last week we looked at the foundational theological concept that undergirds the teaching of this Lord's Day. But now today we're going to focus on the rest of the Lord's Day. Which is also very important. We're going to focus on answering two questions. First, what is the relationship between God's saving work and my good works? Now, of course, we've answered that somewhat already last week, but there's more to be said on that subject. And so, we're going to take the instruction of last week a little further and finish off the answer of that question. What's the relationship between God's saving work and my good works? And then secondly, we're going to answer the question, what is God's purpose for good works in the life of his children? We're going to notice that God has a very positive purpose for good works. The Bible doesn't talk about good works only so that we can say negatively, they don't contribute anything to our salvation, we're not saved by them. Yes, that's true and that's very important and must be emphasized. But the Bible's teaching on good works is not a purely negative thing. And our understanding of these teachings of Scripture is going to be misshapen if that's the only thing that we focus on. Good works, by divine design, have a very important and positive purpose in the life of believers. And that is biblical, and that is reformed, and anything less than that is deformed. And so those two questions will be our focus this morning. Our theme then is God's saving work and the Christian's good works. God's saving work and the Christian's good works. First, we look at the relationship, finish off that aspect of the Lord's day's teaching, and then secondly, the purpose. The good, positive, God-given purpose for good works. Another sermon on good works, let's remember what good works are. Perhaps, somewhat surprisingly, the Catechism doesn't give a definition of good works until we get into Lord's Day 33 at the very bottom, question and answer 91. But what are good works? And here, the Catechism gives us a concise but biblically comprehensive definition of what good works are. First off, a work is simply any deed, any activity performed by us, But now this kind of deed or activity, whether in word or action or thought, good works are only those which proceed from a true faith. There's the source and that indicates that the Holy Spirit is ultimately the source because the Holy Spirit is the author of true faith. Good works proceed from a true faith. They are performed according to the law of God. That's the standard. That tells you whether a work is good or bad. It is good if it conforms to God's law, His Ten Commandments, and especially the heart principle of those Ten Commandments, love for God and love for the neighbor. So the source, true faith authored by the Spirit. The standard, in conformity with God's law. And then thirdly, the goal, the aim, the conscious intention of the doer of that good work and to His glory. That's what good works are. Thoughts, words, deeds, desires, activities of the Christian which proceed from true faith authored by the Spirit. Which are done according to the word of God and which are consciously aimed at the glory of God. What's the relationship of these things, these good works, to the greatest work, God's work of salvation? The catechism reemphasizes something that it's brought up several times before. The negative. And the negative is important. And thus, we re-emphasize it again briefly this morning. The relationship between God's saving work and the Christian's good works is not that the Christian's good works get me saved, or the Christians good works contribute to God's work of saving me so that in one form or one way or another, my salvation depends upon what I do. That is not the Scriptures teaching and thank God it is not the Scriptures teaching. If it was, we would have no hope, no assurance. Good works don't save us, nor are they a condition we must fulfill. Good works cannot save us because they cannot merit or earn or obtain anything with God. The creature cannot indebt the living God to him. Moreover, a sinner cannot by any amount of good deeds performed outweigh or cancel out the infinite debt of his sin. That's why Jesus made the point so very clear to his disciples who are working through that wrong thinking. Luke 17 verse 10, Jesus says, When ye shall have done all those things which are commanded you, say, We are unprofitable servants. We have done that which was our duty to do. So, as Reformed Christians... You understand the Bible's teaching. The Christian's good works. They're not the basis. It's not what salvation is built on. My work isn't the foundation. Nor is my work the the means that God uses to impart His blessings to me. So that by doing good works, I get things from God and obtain or merit. No, not that. Not the basis. Not the means. As Ephesians 2 verse 8 says. For by grace are ye saved. Through faith. And this not of yourselves. Not of works. Lest any man should boast. God has designed salvation in such a way. That all human boasting. Credit taking. Self glorying is Excluded and made impossible. For the one who truly understands salvation. The redemptive work of Christ on the cross and the renewing work of the Spirit. The person who truly understands that wonder work of God is not going to say, I did some of that. Or I earned some of that. But the person who understands that wonder work of God is going to say, I had nothing to do with acquiring that for myself. I contributed not a particle. I bend my knees before this God of all grace who has done it all for me and in me. For me by the suffering and death of Jesus Christ and in me by the indwelling work of the Spirit. So positively then, the relationship. It comes out in Ephesians 8. We're not saved because of good works. We're not saved by our good works. But verse 10. For we are His workmanship created. And created there is describing salvation. Especially the renewing work of the Holy Spirit. Created in Christ Jesus Unto good works. And that preposition is very important. Unto. That's indicating a goal. What salvation aims at. You see the idea is this. God redeems us in the blood of Christ. And he renews us by his Holy Spirit. With this as his goal. With this as his aim. In order that in our lives there might be a blossoming harvest. Of good works. Unto the glory of his name. God saves us. Unto. A new life. Unto. Good works. Of thought. Word. Deed. And desire. And so we can. Describe the relationship this way. God saves us. To do good works. We don't. Do good works to be saved. We do good works having been saved. The good works which are real. Which are beautiful. These good works are the result of Christ's finished saving work for us. And the fruit of his continued saving work in us. They do not lead to redemption. They follow redemption. They are not what? renew us, but those good works are the fruits of the renewing work of the Spirit in us. Again, you see that very, very clearly in Ephesians chapter 2. Let's walk through the verses that we read a moment. You and I were dead. Spiritually dead, verse 1 says. That's the natural condition of fallen humanity. Spiritually dead. Alienated from God. Having no spiritual life in us. Wholly corrupt and inclined to all evil as our catechism says. But you hath he quickened. Hath he quickened. That describes the saving operation of the spirit regenerating that is imparting the new life of Christ to us so Ephesians 2 focuses especially on the renewal side of the salvation coin but it presupposes the other side the redemptive side that's been accomplished that's been done in Christ and now in time Christ by his spirit is doing this in you. He's doing this in his people. He hath quickened you and he is at work renewing you. Verse 2 says wherein in time past, note the past, in time past. The apostle is describing what we were. In time past ye walked according to the course of this world. We were just like the children of this world. According to the prince of the power of the air. That's a name for the devil. We were his bond servants. We walked according to the devil's ways. The devil which is the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. Among whom also we all. We all had our conversation in times past in the lusts of the flesh. Fulfilling the desires of of the flesh and the mind. And were by nature children of wrath even as others The Christian by nature does not differ from any other fallen human being. We are all equally involved in the misery and the wretchedness and the sinfulness of humankind. Now verse 4. But God. But God. Who is rich in mercy for his great love wherewith he loved us. When we were dead. And that emphasizes We don't do anything to get ourselves saved. A dead man can't do anything. The spiritually dead cannot take the first steps towards God. The spiritually dead cannot do something to help the work of their salvation along. They're dead. They're dead. Even when we were dead in sins... Quickened us together with Christ. By grace are ye saved. And that parenthetical statement says it all. By grace. And by nothing else. By grace alone. Sometimes opponents of. The reformed interpretation of scripture throughout the ages have complained that. The reformation talked about grace alone. But you don't read that phrase in the bible. Grace alone. Well you do. You read it right here. We don't need the word alone to be here. The whole point of the statement is grace alone. By grace ye are saved. Period. Nothing else. By God's grace. And hath raised us up together and made us to sit together in heavenly places in Christ. That in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us. Through Jesus Christ. For by grace are ye saved. Again. Period. By grace alone. Through faith. Period. Not faith and works. Faith alone. And that not of yourselves. It is a gift. A gift of God. All of it. Redemption in the blood. Renewal by the Spirit. All of it. From regeneration to final glorification. By grace. Through faith. Not of yourselves. A gift of God. Not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are His workmanship. Again, as I said before, verse 10 is especially focusing our attention on that renewing work of the Holy Spirit. The saving operation that is taking place in your life and mine right now and which continues till the day that Christ takes us from this world into the Father's house. where His workmanship of grace. And that's the way to think about this life. It's a way to think about afflictions. When we're in the furnace. Or when we feel as though we're on the anvil being pounded with hammer strokes. What's happening? We're in God's workshop of grace. And everything he is sovereignly using to refashion us. To shape us. To renew us. To sanctify us. To save us. All of life we are in the workshop. Of God's grace. We are his workmanship. We are being recreated from a spiritual point of view. We have been quickened. We have been given new spiritual life so that we are no longer dead. But now that we have that new spiritual life. The spirit of Christ is recreating us in the image of Christ. And that recreative work sometimes requires a furnace. Sometimes requires what feels like hammer blows. When there's a particularly stubborn and hard part of my will. That's resistant. Doesn't overcome the grace of God. Where His workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus. And now we're back to where we started. The relationship that's being pointed out here. All of this unto a life of good works. A new life. Salvation aims at this. Salvation has as its goal a new person and a new life. And as our salvation is being worked out by the Spirit, that's The glorious and beautiful fruit unto good works. That's the relationship. And that finishes off that answer to the question must that we looked at last week. We must do good works because it necessarily follows from the very nature of salvation itself. Redemption, renewal. Both redemption and renewal have this as God's goal. A new person. Renewed in the image of Christ. Who lives a new life. Whose thoughts, words, deeds, desires. Are what we read in question and answer 91. Out of true faith. According to the law of God. Unto his glory. And so to wrap up the first point, seeing clearly this relationship, we must make this important application, and the the catechism requires us to. We are not saved without good works. Understand. We're not saved because of good works, we're not saved. By good works. We are saved unto good works. And precisely because we are saved unto good works. We are not saved without them. And the point is. The man who lives an ungodly life. Who bears no fruit of the spirit. Has no right to say. Well I'm saved by grace. So I can go live my merry life. As a sinner. And I have nothing to worry about. Such a man speaks contrary to the word of God and contrary to the grace of God, what that man is really saying is, I'll take the redemption half of salvation and I'll discard the renewal half. It's not important. It's not necessary. I'll just take that part. And that's an attitude of unbelief. We're not saved because of or by good works, but we are saved unto good works. Our life is spent in the workshop of God's grace. And nobody who's in the workshop of God's grace is going to come out of that workshop unchanged. And the man who goes on unchanged is self-deceived thinking that he's been in the workshop of grace. That's why the catechism has question and answer 87. Sometimes it's easy to pass over 87 and, oh, that's interesting, why is that there? It's there to make this very important point. Let no one think he can go on in sin and say, well, grace will just cover it. Cannot they then be saved who continuing in their wicked and ungrateful lives are not converted to God? And the answer of the catechism on the basis of Scripture, because that's where the catechism gets this, from Scripture, by no means. For the Holy Scripture declares that no unchaste person, idolater and so forth, will inherit the kingdom of God. Now we understand that the catechism's point here and the Bible's point is not that anyone who falls into such sins is automatically going to perish. If that was the case, not a single one of us would be saved. We all break God's commandments. Daily. But the idea here is that, is that of the person who persists. Who continues impenitently and will not turn. The unconverted person will perish. The person who is saved will not and cannot continue to live the way he or she used to live. Ephesians 2 brings that out again. If you look at verses 2 and 3. Wherein in time past ye walked according to the course of this world. And in verse 3. Among whom also we all had our conversation in times past. But verse 4. But God, God's work changes us. When we were dead, He quickened us. He has raised us up together with Christ. Salvation works a radical change. And where there is no radical change, there is an absence of the Spirit. In an absence of the grace of God, working. And so, let not the doctrine of salvation by grace alone lull anyone into spiritual slumber, thinking, great, because I believe this, I can live as a giant sinner and live however I want. No, the word of God to such a person is not, no worries, you'll be saved in the end. But the word of God is what Jesus says in Luke 13 verse 3. Repent, or you will perish. Let that word be pressed upon our hearts. It shows us the urgency. The urgency of fighting against sin. And not deceiving ourselves into thinking that grace gives me license. We're not saved. Because of works, we are not saved by works, we are saved unto good works, and therefore we are not saved without good works. Because the workmanship of God's grace always, always brings forth good fruit. So that is the relationship. Let's move on to see the positive purpose and here we are going to focus on the majority of question and answer 86 which is really answering the question why do good works but answering it from a subjective point of view. That is, what is the purpose and intention and desire in my heart? The reasons and the motives I have for doing good works. We've seen that good works are necessary. They necessarily flow out of the very nature of salvation. But we're not stocks and blocks. We're not trees. We are moral, rational creatures and children of God. And therefore, the way God's grace works in us is that as the Spirit works that renewing grace in us, He renews our affections. He renews our desires. So that consciously, we strive to do what is pleasing in God's eyes. There's a positive purpose for good works. God has ordained that we walk in them as Ephesians 2 verse says, verse 2, or Ephesians 2:10 says. Does God ever ordain something with no purpose? Does God ever design something that is unprofitable? Good works do good. Good works that are good for nothing are not good at all. Good works are the fruit of the Spirit. And so nothing would be farther from the Scripture than the idea that these fruits of the Spirit just pop up there and do nothing and have no benefit for anybody. God has a positive purpose for the good works, the fruits that are brought forth in the life of His child as the Spirit renews that child in the image of Christ. And the Catechism highlights a few of those good purposes of God. And we're going to arrange the material this way. Three directions. Three directions of the believer's good works. Toward God, with regard to oneself, and then also towards one's neighbor. So first, starting with God. To God be the glory. That's ultimately the conscious motive that we are to have for the performance of good works. That's our aim. That's our goal. And that's what makes good, our good works and the doing of them align with God's purpose. God saves us unto good works because by those good works, His grace is magnified and God is glorified. And now as redeemed and renewed children of God, our conscious motive and purpose should align with God's. I want to honor my God and glorify Him with the life that I live. To God be the glory. That's the positive purpose of good works. And that's what the Catechism says when, after the first line, it says, That so we may testify by the whole of our conduct our gratitude to God. The life of the redeemed child of God who's being renewed by the Spirit is a testimony of gratitude, a living testimony. To testify is to give a public account of what someone has done. Of how it affects you personally. To testify is to furnish evidence of what someone has done. This is to be the Christian's conscientious purpose in life. Testifying before men... And before my God, what He has done for me in Christ. Testifying of my gratitude to God and furnishing the evidence. And what is the evidence? A changed life. A new walk. Renewed conduct. Testifying. Speaking of what God has done for my soul. And furnishing the evidence. The fruits. Showing myself indeed to be. That piece of His gracious workmanship. Notice what the catechism says. We testify by the whole of our conduct. Sinful nature comes and says... You can testify your gratitude to God by trying to be extra righteous in a couple areas of your life. And maybe you can look at your brother or sister in the church and see that you do better than them in this area of your life. Now, lift yourself up and think you're a super Christian because you're so good at that. And that cuts you some slack over here. That's the devil's reasoning. The Bible's reasoning... Divine truth is what we have in the catechism, not part of my conduct, not a little bit of my conduct that I work really hard at and then use to justify self-righteousness, but the whole of my conduct, all that I am, all that I have my whole life, because I'm not my own anymore. I've been redeemed by the blood. I belong to my faithful Savior, body and soul. And therefore, all that I am, body and soul, biological life, spiritual life, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, all that I am is to be a living sacrifice of thankfulness to my God. I am to testify by the whole of my conduct, my gratitude to God. Or the praise of His glorious grace. That's the meaning of my life. That's the purpose of my life. That's the goal far greater than any other goals I might have. To God be the glory. Whatever circumstance I'm in. Whatever I'm going through right now. Whatever disappointments come my way. Whatever Earthly achievements I obtain or don't obtain. In all of it, to God be the glory. That's why Christians do good works. That's why, as we heard last week, we are to be zealous of good works. God be the glory. Fruit. The fruit of the Spirit's renewing work glorifies God. That's why Jesus said in John 15 verse 8, Herein is my Father glorified, that ye bear much fruit, so shall ye be my disciples. That's what glorifies God. Nothing is farther from Scripture than the erroneous idea that God is glorified if I just go on in my life as a sinner and then talk a lot about grace. Oh, God's grace is great. It covers sin. That dishonors the grace of God. What glorifies God is not just a lot of empty talk about grace. What glorifies God is not merely a bunch of in-depth theology about grace all by itself. But what glorifies God is a theology of grace that is lived in the whole of my conduct. Herein is my Father glorified that ye bear much fruit. And so you see, when we have a proper biblical conception of good works, we're not going to see good works as this bad thing that's always a threat to Orthodox theology. But we're going to see the doing of good works as a God-glorifying activity in which I more and more lose myself and give myself up to my Redeemer and my Savior. To God be the glory. So that's the first direction. And as we'll see, ultimately it's the only direction. But the Catechism also speaks about me personally. Good works that God has ordained for me to walk in. They are the fruits of his grace which are delightful, sweet, and profitable for me and my spiritual life as a Christian. For the Christian, the doing of good works intentionally for the glory of God is something that brings a true spiritual joy. What pleases our Father is thrilling to the heart of the child of God. To exercise ourselves in obedience, in service, in worship is upbuilding and spiritually healthy. Now let's understand to say that is not to deny the sole instrumentality of faith. To say that is not to turn good works into a means of obtaining or meriting with God. Not at all. To say that is to simply recognize what good works are. They are the sweet and beautiful fruits of the Spirit's work in the life of a believer. Why would anyone say that the fruits of the Spirit are profitless? No, they're profitable. Fruit is meant to be sweet. Fruit is meant to be nourishing. Fruit is meant to be beautiful. It's a sub-biblical conception of works that thinks about it as just this fruit that's there but has no effect, no profit for anybody. Fruit of the Spirit. It glorifies God, but it's sweet to me as well. It's good for my spiritual life. That doesn't mean I'm doing good works to earn something from God. It means that as I live out of the Spirit, as I walk in that way, it's wholesome, it's profitable, it's upbuilding. That, that's why we read out of 1 Timothy 4. Notice the language that the Apostle Paul is not afraid to use in 1 Timothy 4 7 through 9. But refuse profane and old wives' fables and exercise thyself rather unto godliness. For bodily exercise profiteth little, but godliness is profitable unto all things, having the promise of life that now is and of that which is to come. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation. Paul's saying is, Paul is saying godliness, the fruits of the Spirit, are profitable in all areas of life and unto all things. They are sweet, they are wholesome, they are spiritually edifying. The apostle goes on in 1 Timothy 6 verse 6. But godliness with contentment is great gain. Paul here is not compromising the the heart of the gospel justification by faith alone. But Paul by inspiration of the Spirit understands his theology well enough. To see the beautiful connection. Between redemption and justification. Renewal and sanctification. And the fruits of God's grace. And how those fruits that salvation aims at are beautiful, sweet, and edifying. And he's not afraid to say it. Think about it. When you go to Bible study, and a bunch of believers open the Scripture together, and they read it together, and they speak for one another's edification, isn't that good work wholesome, upbuilding for our spiritual lives? Of course it is. By saying that, nobody's saying, okay, the good work of going to Bible study earns me blessings from God. No, it's a fruit of the work of the Spirit in us. And as the Spirit brings forth those fruits, they're sweet, they're wholesome, they're profitable. When you love your spouse the way God's word tells you to love her or him. Yes, that love blesses her or blesses him. But it is spiritually wholesome and profitable for you as well to exercise yourself according to the two great commandments. Loving God and loving your neighbor. Beautiful, sweet, refreshing, edifying. That's the way God's designed it. There is joy. There is enrichment. In the new life that we live by the Spirit. And none of that compromises the gospel. Rather it shows the glory of the gospel. So that generally. That that point needs to be made. And we need not be afraid to say. That the fruits of the Spirit are profitable. For me personally. But now the catechism highlights one particular way that the Christian's good works are profitable. In answer 86. Also that everyone may be assured in himself of his faith by the fruits thereof. The idea here isn't that I look at my good works and I make my good works the basis of my assurance of salvation. Good works and basis. Those two words should never be put together like that. Good works are never a basis. My assurance of salvation is found in Christ alone. He's the rock. And I am assured of my salvation by resting and relying upon Christ by faith. The idea here in the catechism is that fruits are confirming evidence of the liveliness and genuineness of my faith. Where the fruits of the Spirit are, the Spirit, the author of faith, must be. And therefore, the presence of fruits is something encouraging to the Christian. I see the fingerprints of God in my life when I observe those fruits in me. It's not that I look to them and say, oh good, I have a pile of righteous works, so now now I can be assured that I'm saved. No, I look to Christ, I rest in Him. But in all my doubts and temptations and the struggles of this world, God in His grace gives that confirming evidence. I see the fingerprints of the Spirit in my life. Where there are those fruits. And Don't we not all know that from experience how encouraging that is? I see the work of God. I see His workmanship in me. And oh, how encouraging that is. When I doubt or when I feel the burden of my sins. That's the point of the catechism. Evidence that encourages. Well now to conclude. A third direction to my neighbor. To God be the glory. Exercising oneself in godliness is profitable unto all things. There's spiritual profit for me personally. And three, to my neighbor. For his good. That's where question and answer 86 ends. A fundamental part of showing gratitude to God is doing good to our neighbor. The whole will of God for your life and for mine is love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. What is love? Well, we, we know what love is in its essence. It's the self-giving pursuit of the true good of another person. A big part of how we glorify God is by showing love to our neighbor. You see, the, the two great commandments are a package. They are two sides of the same coin too. Just like you can't split the redemption in the blood from the renewal in the spirit, you can't split love for God and love for your neighbor The person who says, I love God, but goes around hating his neighbor, well, the Bible says that man's a liar. In fact, one of the greatest ways that we show love to our God is by loving the neighbor who crosses our path or the neighbor God puts in our life. Salvation by grace directly transforms our conduct towards people. Towards people. And thus a manifestation of gratitude and part of our testimony of gratitude in the whole of our conduct is treating other people graciously, treating them the way the gospel teaches us, loving our neighbor as ourself. And that's one of God's purposes, his positive purposes with good works. God uses the good works of his people to bless and build up others in the church. Grace creates graciousness in a grateful person. And the grateful person exercises that graciousness towards another. And that person receiving that graciousness, receiving that love, is built up. And perhaps even moved to praise and give God the glory. That's how we need to see service in the body of Christ. It's an act of love and a testimony of our gratitude towards God. When I make that meal, when I watch someone's kid for a while, when I devote time to a church project, when I use my talents for God's people, when I give someone a ride, when I go on that visit, and on and on we could go. God uses that to bless and build up my brother or my sister in the church. My love for the brother is an expression of love for God. And beautifully God uses our love for one another. To help us experience his love. The two great commandments are a package. They go together. And so we we see... To the glory of God, it's all to the glory of God. God's purpose with good works is that, should it be His will, they may even be used to win unbelievers to Christ. Think of Matthew 5.16, let your light shine. Letting our light shine isn't just a passive thing, we mustn't think about it this way well, I'll just go about my business as a Christian and people will see me being a Christian and that's my only witness. That's part of it. But just part of it. Letting your light shine is not merely letting my neighbor see me go to church twice on Sunday. In fact, if I, my neighbor sees me going to church twice on Sunday, but I'm cold and contemptuous towards him the rest of the week, it's better that he not see me go to church on Sunday. Letting your light shine is passive. Yes, letting the kind of life you live be witnessed. But it's also very active. How I conduct myself towards my neighbor. Am I a person who breathes out gospel graciousness and loving kindness towards all who cross my path? Or am I just like everyone else in the world in the way I treat people? Being a light. Being different, not just to observers, but being intentionally different in the way I interact, the way I talk, the way I treat others. And that is a powerful thing that God can use, if He wills, to win one of His elect sheep who is yet wandering in darkness. God converts lost sheep through the preaching of the gospel. He uses the words of believers witnessing, yes. But another powerful tool he uses to assist both the preaching and the witnessing of believers is the testimony of a Christian life. And so let that be our motive too. Why do I want to walk in newness of life? A Christian life is an act of love to my neighbor so it all goes back to the glory of God. Winning others for Christ. That's for the glory of God. Enjoying the sweetness. And the edification of the fruits of the spirit. It's for the glory of God. It's all for the glory of God. To God be the glory. That's the answer to the question why. When we understand. Really understand grace. Then we get the must of good works. It clicks. And it makes perfect sense. Beloved, let us be a people zealous of good works. To God be the glory. Let us testify by the whole of our conduct. Our gratitude to God. Amen. Faithful God and Heavenly Father, we thank Thee for this word. We pray that it may prick us where we need a pricking, where we might be lazy in sin, where we may cut ourselves some slack. But may it also be encouraging as it sets before us the beauty of Thy grace and the wonder of what Thy grace does in us. Make us a people who live out. The gospel in our daily lives. A testimony. A living epistle of Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.